Welcome to the Monday Morning Tears Cast, the first, best, and only podcast where I get to relive my failures year after year and just keep wallowing in my misery. As always, I'm your host, Daniel Kites, here to start up this uh, this goddamn fantasy football year. Uh, you know... I'm going to keep, I think it's been clear, I'm going to keep doing this podcast until at least I win that chip, which probably means I'll be doing this podcast for the next 20 years at least. But you know what, I'm glad that there are still people around that that have enthusiasm for the game. Uh, And so, to join me on this kind of pre-season podcast, where we're going to talk about, you know, some of the changes that's happened in the league, uh, some draft strategy, and what we want our teams to look like, and maybe some, some guys that's have high ceilings and low floors, guys that we're really intrigued by. I brought on uh, the man who is, frankly, trying to steal my spot here, uh, who has made it very clear he wants to be the podcast host, but just doesn't seem to make the effort for it. Uh, I want to welcome someone who is spiritually my co-host to this podcast. I'm going to bring on our 2020-2021 fantasy football champion... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess I'll get a little sick uh, saying that. Uh, I'm going to bring on our champion here, Mikey Campos. Mikey, how are you doing this fine day? Insert intro music. Pew, pew, pew. Yes, yes, yes. The champion is here. And he is, I would like to say he's back, but let's be real. This is the first time I won the championship. But more than some people can say. Uh, so, yeah, feeling fantastic. Feeling good going into this season. Feeling rejuvenated and spirited. And uh, just having high spirits right now, definitely. Um, yeah, I appreciate you giving good. us the first. Uh, I appreciate you giving us the first audio drop of the year. There, I appreciate yeah. that. We always like the the, the manual hip hop horns. Yeah, you know we gotta take it old school and do it manually, right? So why not? Um, yeah, no, feeling good. Like it de- definitely, uh, I can probably say for everybody in our league that last year was probably one of the biggest roller coasters of the season for many of. Our team's just probably in a historic rate of injuries that we've seen that has deflated a lot of teams and, you know, uh, just making a lot of teams and having to make a lot of different decisions based off the injuries of how they would want their uh, team to look going forward. Um, And, you know, it's just whoever had the best luck and whoever was able to move maneuver around that the best. And uh, somehow I came out on top. Uh, to and to go forward with like I can't even look back to be honest on how the playoffs even went uh, since we're not on that app anymore. Uh, I don't even remember who I actually beat in the finals, but I was actually looking forward to beating you, but I don't think I actually played you. No, I can't remember who it was. I want to say Taras, maybe that feels right. I can't remember. Maybe it was Kimbert. I I, I can't remember. No, I think you're right. I think it was Kimbert. Yeah, but no, I it, should have actually pulled this up beforehand. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like as just like uh, if you want to go through a quick review of last season and the winnings, like uh, yeah, tell us your story. Tell tell us the Mikey Campos version of how you became our our glorious champion. Well, if it all starts, all like if you want to start off with how the season went, uh, I felt actually very confident with my team during draft day. Uh, I thought I felt like I drafted uh, a good four of wide receivers that can can keep me going and two steady uh, 
two steady running backs and have a good core of healthy players there. Um, but things went sour right away. I think it was literally the day after our draft, we found out Kenny Galladay was pretty much out and about. Um, and my number one receiver was pretty much non-existent the whole entire season. Uh, so I worked around that. And then throughout the middle of the season, I kind of had just an abundance of injuries. As you know, Nick Chubb was out for half the season. Uh, you know, Kenny Galladay was pretty much for out of it. Uh, but, you know, I did one thing last year, I will say, that I haven't done in the past. I think I've kind of built a reputation of somebody who doesn't do trades. And I kind of steered away from that last year as I did two trades. But one of them was... You're, in- you're presuming that you built a reputation in our league. Yes, I built a, re- a reputation of since I was the butthurt trophy that I suck and two that I don't. <laughs> and, and that I don't actually do trades with people, which I usually don't, to be fair. Uh, but last year I made a huge trade with Andre, which gave me Justin Jefferson, which was 100% one of the reasons why I think I went all the way. Because um, he was, was pretty much. Yes, he, he was a true force to reckon with. Uh, towards the back half of the season and the playoffs as well for me. And just being being able to survive and make the playoffs um, and getting my core back, like Nick Chubb back into the lineup for the playoff push, really made a big difference. And uh, I just definitely had consistency. That was the main thing. I had consistency to go to, to the playoffs. I think I had something like the last six games of the season and playoffs over 100 points. So it was just consistency. Got lucky with uh, my opponents kind of having bad weeks. And that's what truly, I guess, how it all came together for me. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm right here, Mikey. You can just talk about me and my, my bad luck and my mismanagement. You don't need to just say vaguely my opponents. Yeah, well, you know, one was Kimber. Kimber had a bad, very bad week against me. I think Henry didn't do well. Russell Wilson didn't do well. Um, and of course you, like you, you had an all-star lineup that just didn't show up for you in the playoffs. And well, the, the big butthurt of it still is I still, I am, I mean, I can't blame everyone because I, I really did relish playing the role of heel in our league and playing villain. Uh, but I, I'm still really butthurt, frankly, that Adam Schefter's tweets, uh, never showed up in my timeline about uh, Zeke sitting so that I couldn't start Tony Pollard. Because if I started Pollard, I win that matchup and then I go on to beat you in the finals. Uh, so that's, I'm, I, you know what? Danny has accused me of, of using this podcast as a way of just talking about how great my teams are. So I'm going to try and steer a little bit away from that. Um, but suffice to say, you know, for the fifth year running, I feel like I'm the real champion and I'm hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm coming for, coming for the crown this year, but yeah, I, I can, I was trying to look at the fantasy history. I think it's blocked off now. So I can't remember who you faced in the final. Um, I don't think it was Kimbert. I think you. I think that bad week for Henry happened earlier. Um, but yeah, man, like you know, the one of the one of the sayings that we say in sports is uh, "flags fly forever." You know, there's no asterisk years. There's just championships, and that's all there is. And Mikey, you've you've got the chip this year. I gotta tip my hat to you. Well done. Thank you, sir. And I just want to change the stigma that I'm actually good at fantasy football. So hopefully, I can uh, keep the ball rolling for this season. 
Um, but I think the lesson learned for you on that is that uh, don't rely on just one tweet or one person. Uh, try to get your information and sources from multiple people <laughs> so you don't run into well, that You know what? Normally I do, but all those multiple people decide to go radio silent in the WhatsApp feeds. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, when you're the heel in the group, nobody's going to want to feed you that. So you got to do it yourself. Oh, I know. I, I earned it. <laughs> I did earn it. It's, you know what? It's just so much more fun. It's way more fun to be a villain than it is to be, you know, the face, you know? Well, I can probably predict that for this season, you still have the target in your back, but I'm probably number two right behind you since I do have the chip. You are definitely number two. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Of which um, I mean poop. Poop. Well, unfortunately, that's not me this year. That's somebody else in our group. Yeah, that's true. We'll get to him a little bit later. Uh, but you know what? Let's dive into this year's league. We've got a, we've had a bunch of changes that we're looking at here. So the ones that I have listed that I remember is that we're we're back to a snake draft. We have the third round reversal that's happening in that snake draft. We have the keepers that we're going to be keeping at the end of the year. We get to keep two keepers each. Uh, we have an IR slot, and we've moved to a whole new platform uh, over to Sleeper. So, Mikey, I'll, I'll let you have first word. Which of those things do you want to talk about? Which are you most intrigued by? Which are you most worried by? What What do you have thoughts on? Um, well, they're all pretty much big changes for our league. Um, I think even, well, first of all, like even just changing to Sleeper app, we've always been in Yahoo. Uh, so changing to Sleeper is different all the way from uh, even uh, right now, when we want to try to do mock drafts, doing mock drafts on this new sleeper app is totally different than on Yahoo, uh, based off ADP, based off values, and even how you can do a mock draft. Uh, for example, on this new app, you can only do it with uh, with automated bots, as opposed to on Yahoo, you have the choice to do it with real-life people as well. Um, yeah, and you but... can hypothetically, I think, invite people to do a mock draft with you. But yeah, like it's going to be hard to invite, frankly, 12 people to hop into a mock draft. Yeah, and to, to say, like, I think it's a little bit easier to do mock drafts uh, with the Snake uh, platform, which now we're Definitely. going back to, as opposed to if we were trying to do the auction. Um, outside of that, it's really hard to tell uh, how the rest of the app is going to be, as we haven't used it before for fantasy football. Uh, but a lot of the features that it has looks like it's promising and it will be better um, for our league. Um, yeah, and I, I do trust our, our tech nerds in, in Danny and Victor, who, you know, Victor, who's technically no longer part of the league, but they were pushing pretty hard for this switch. And uh, I, I don't know, I'll trust them in that. Yahoo had its own faults. Yahoo was fine, but, you know, I think I, I from what I've been messing around with with the interface, I'm kind of intrigued by Sleeper. It seems cool. I think the app is a lot better than the the like the Yahoo phone app. Um, so I'm I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, Sleeper I think is going to be a fun change. I'm like very intrigued that we now get to keep this IR slot. So I think like having that last year for COVID, I think was really clutch. And now just being able to keep it for this year, you know, I think I think most and fantasy football leagues don't have that IR slot. And I think that's going to open up like a whole bunch of possibilities now to not have to like drop injured players or even pick some up. Like with, you know, with the news about Michael Thomas, especially a guy who might be out till midway through the season, you know, he might have been a guy that might not even be drafted coming into this year. But now that we have an IR spot that we can stash Michael Thomas into, I'm I'm really curious to see where he goes in our draft because you know if he even if he's out for the first eight nine weeks 
if he's back and he's, you know, Michael Thomas for those last six, seven weeks, that's that's league winning potential right there. So the IR slot is something that I'm I'm very excited and very intrigued by. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think you hit the spot there. Uh, it, it, obviously, it's going to be intended for uh, P, uh, for players that are only IR eligible uh, in actual real life, which means to be placed in IR, I think they have to miss is it eight, a minimum of eight games? Is it is that what it is? That IR? I'm not sure of. I thought I thought it's just an IR slot for anyone who's injured or just labeled this out because you can you can miss a game but not be on the IR. Uh, I, I think that might have to be clarified because I believe the IR slot is only for IR eligible players, not just for out players. Curious. I, I, I mean, that's not how it was last year, I don't think, but we can look uh, into that. That was due to the COVID, COVID list, which I'm not sure if, if, if that's exactly how we're doing it. It's something that we can clarify with uh, the team in the league, uh, which we probably yeah. should. Um, but with, is listening. I'll trust him. Yeah, but with Michael Thomas, you're right. He's a great example of uh, it, it might be more now, initially, because of his uh, surgery back in June for his ankle. I think it was supposed to be he was going to miss at least four games, which it could be more. Uh, but he, you know he's going to drop in the in, as drop in ADP in, in the rounds. And he could definitely be somebody that you could probably stash away if you are able to. Like, if you can afford to do that, uh, stash away and then could potentially be a league winner for you in that back half of the season. Um, he will be intriguing. And there's a couple of players like that that uh, are probably going to be kind of like that this year. Um, and using that IR spot, I think you're going to see a lot of people who are going to take advantage and use loopholes in that, uh, in, in filling that spot. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the fact that we're doing keepers next year, do you see that playing a role in this year's draft at all? Yes and no. I think uh, like we're, we, for the f- most, most part, we play in a very competitive league. And if you take away the keepers, we draft, most of us draft with getting players who have a lot of upside and a lot of potential and high floors or high ceilings anyways. We like to draft the high ceiling rookies or even uh, guys coming into the second year. Um, which is mostly like, you know, what keepers is all about, uh, grabbing guys not for the next season, but, you know, the seasons in the future. So I don't think it's going to change that much in how we draft uh, in toward going in towards keepers because we tend to usually draft anyways with people who have high potential and high ceilings anyways. Um, what it might be intriguing to see is maybe we'll want to take a couple more rookies than we usually do for the sake of, maybe wanting to keep them though we are kind of like you know taking baby steps into it as we are only taking two keepers to start off um and i can i can eventually see that if the the general consensus is that the league likes the keepers that we're doing in a couple of years we might even i can see this flowing into a full dynasty league right yeah, it'll be interesting with like, you know, a lot of like the big rookies this year, you know, like your your Jamar Chases, your Travis Etienne's, some of these guys, like, you know, if it's a toss up between them and maybe the more established veterans, it, it's interesting to think like, well, maybe in the fifth round, you know, is it worth taking a guy like Travis Etienne maybe a little bit early uh, because 
he could blow up and then, you know, he could be a first round ADP guy next year and you could get him for a fourth round value, which could be immense. So like, yeah, I, I'll be curious to see how much that plays into people's minds. But I think I would agree with you. A lot of what you said there, like, you know, we, I don't think it changes this draft that much. Cause that's kind of who we try and draft anyways. Like, we're looking for, as you said, high upside people, especially with like those late round flyers too. So I wouldn't be surprised if the draft kind of operated pretty much uh, as it had before. Uh, but I do think that is something to look out for. And then the, the, this last change we haven't really talked about too much, but this also leads into our next topic is looking at the the third round reversal. Uh, how basically. Uh, for those of you who haven't been following or paying attention, uh, after rounds one and two operate as a snake, rather than the third round starting with the first overall pick, it goes back and starts with the 12th overall pick, and then the snake continues on accordingly uh, from there. Uh, so this leads us into our next topic here about where we feel the the best place to be drafting this year might be you know whether it's at the the top of the draft in the first four picks the mid four picks or the last four picks now mikey i know you're drafting second so you know tell us how how have you been seeing some of those mocks go for you when you've been drafting at the top there yeah so i'm not gonna lie uh we are recording this as of the 30th of july and i've probably done at least 30 mock drafts already i'm gonna admit that um, now, is that CPU mock drafts or like live people mock drafts? Uh, because I want to get used to the sleeper, I have done the CPU, which does go really quick. So I'm not actually sitting here forever doing these mock drafts. <laughs> but uh, and I also like it because the third round reversal is on a sleeper, which actually I tried. Yeah, who doesn't have the third round reversal? Uh, Correct. So because of that, I haven't been doing it on Yahoo because what's the point? It makes a huge difference when you're drafting in those rounds. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I definitely would say, uh, based off the drafts I've done, I actually, even somebody who is drafting second, uh, I could be selfish and say that, no, I don't want the third round reversal because it actually is not like more towards me, but it is fair. I, I will say that I do like it and it is fair. And that leads me to say that, you know, when it comes to what's the better position, I would say either at the beginning or at the end of the draft. So your one to four, or maybe like the nine to 12 would probably be where you would want to be. So you get kind of that back end part of the draft and then you get the, and then you get the quick reversal right away. Um, and now with this third round reversal, you kind of get that back pretty fairly if you are getting that 10th, 11th or 12th pick. Yeah, one of the things I've been noticing just in some of the mocks that I've been doing is that with the the end of round picks, there's a good chance you're going to get like a top tier like tight end one or and white wide receiver one if you really want to because a bunch of like the I keep seeing the running backs are usually pretty consistently like the top eight, nine picks. So when you're choosing at the end of the round, you're not getting one of those top running backs. But that leaves, you know, your Devonta Adamses, your Travis Kelseys, your, you know, Calvin Ridleys. Those guys are always available around that time. 
And and then with that third round reversal, it lets you at least sneak in a pretty good, you know, maybe fringe RB1, at least top to mid-tier RB2. And having, I think, those positions uh, settled, kind of that top wide receiver and that top tight end, I think are really crucial. And then at the top of the draft, like you said, too, like you still get a lot of good top-heavy players there. Uh, and there's, I think, a lot of value to be had kind of around that turning point for the end of the third and fourth there. So I... I I do like the I like the end of the draft a lot. I like the top of the draft. Someone who as someone who is picking sixth in this draft, I concur with you that I don't love the middle of the drafts because a lot of the top tier guys seem to kind of disappear by that time. And uh, granted, we're not affected by the the third round reversal terribly too much, but you know I haven't been thrilled with the teams that I've seen in the mock drafts. They're they're okay, but I I, I feel like it's it's lacking a little bit. But uh, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly there that definitely those end of draft and top of draft guys, I think, benefit from this quite a bit. But in general, the parity does seem to be there. It does seem like the teams are, are pretty evenly spaced out, uh, which hopefully I think will make for a pretty good uh, year this year. Yeah, I think us going, I think we've done auction drafts now for what, the last four seasons? Or last four, yeah, five three or seasons? four seasons, something like that. Yeah, so a, it is going to be a change again to go back to Snake, but I, I do think that we are going to see again a fairly overall balanced league as per team will be more balanced as opposed to with the auction, some of our teams in the league being very top heavy and with like less. Um, depth in their teams. I think we're going to see an overall more like balanced uh, group of teams in our league with going back to snakes. Yeah, and and one small note about the the platform change too that I've noticed doing mock drafts is that uh, I'm, I'm sure we could change this if we wanted to, but I wouldn't want to. Uh, Sleeper allows like two minutes a pick, whereas Yahoo is thirty seconds a pick. And when I was doing the comparison between the two, I was really, really happy to have that kind of extra 30, 60 seconds to make a choice versus the Yahoo selection. So I'm, I'm quite happy to see Sleeper has that built in. Yeah, and, I, and also to that point, too, the fact that we can actually push back the start of the draft or pause when we need to, as opposed to it's harder to do that with Yahoo, um, which is, I think, one of the built-in reasons why we want to go to Sleeper as well. Yeah, Sleeper also sponsors this podcast, so we had to get a, a good plug in there for them. Um, let's move on and talk about, I mean, you said you've been doing mock drafts. I've been doing mock drafts. Now that now that the wedding's done, and now that my, my classes are done, I have nothing to do with my day. So I just, you know, I'll just bang out a cool, you know, 10, 20, 50,000 mock drafts a day on the CPU. Uh, and, you know, I've started to get a sense of, like, what I want my fantasy team to look like. Do you have a sense of that yet? Do you have, like, a, a team construction that you're hoping to achieve uh, up in the two pick? 100% I do. Um, the only problem with that is, as we all have been seeing this in the past, like as we are still in late July, what I would want to pick or what I would like to pick in those picks that I do have right now can drastically change by the time draft comes when, as players kind of get hurt in preseason or in camp, and then they then ADPs fall and rise, you know, example... You have Akers out now, Henderson moving up. You got that changing Saquon. If Saquon's not ready for the start of the season, he's going to drop, which will kind of change players. So 
I kind of have an, I, I like, I think I know what I want in my solid first four or five picks, but that can still alter by the time we actually do the live draft. Well, we all know that your ideal team makeup definitely includes Daryl Henderson. You've made that very, very clear uh, to all of us. Uh, but like, I, I can imagine you're probably not going to go too far off the board with the second overall pick, and you're probably going to choose one of those top four or five running backs. Uh, you know, like in rounds, what would you like? I'm not going to ask you to name players, but what would you be ecstatic about if you were like d- by the end of round five? My ideal team looks like this. Like for example, for myself, when I when I think about like the my ideal construction, I this year am all about paying up for one of the top five tight ends, if not one of the top two or three. Uh, I, I, you know, my my experience last year with Travis Kelsey has really led me to just value that tight end position so much because the the top end producers there just so vastly outproduce their competition. So I'm I'm happy to lay my stake down and just basically say that I'm going to uh I'm definitely targeting those in the draft. And it's easier to say that now I feel like because now that we're not doing auction, like no one can really bid you up. Like someone can maybe take a guy ahead of you, but no one can at least bid me up for it. So I'm I'm okay talking about it. Um I definitely want one of those guys. I I want one of like the I'm definitely looking for an RB1 early on. If I can get that. And I'm looking for, frankly, a lot of wide receiver value in the middle rounds. I, I haven't been paying up too much to get kind of the top tier wide receivers. My my sense is that there's a lot of guys in the, you know, rounds five to eight that could produce at least wide receiver two. And in some cases, if everything breaks what right, wide receiver one production and I feel like you don't get that as much with the running backs in that range. So that's where I've been kind of waiting to to target those guys. Um, I don't know. What do do you agree with that? Do you have similar thoughts? Do you have a different approach? What are you thinking for for your your drafting? Okay, so to start off with the tight ends, I, I agree with you. My only thing is, if you're not getting Kelsey or Waller, then I think that kind of flies out the window. Uh, Andrews can easily be out of the top four or five, but he is expensive. He's pricey. Kittle can easily be uh, one or the other as well, but he's going in about the second round. So you got to hit season, baby. Kyle Pitts season. A hundred percent, but he's also going in the fifth round and we don't know uh, how long it's going to take him to build chemistry with Ryan. Um, I, I think if you're not going to pay up for Kelsey, which is like you said at the back end of the first, or Waller, which we're seeing is going in the second, uh, then I, in my opinion, like last year, I won with no uh, tight end. I had Jonah Smith, which ended up flopping for me after the first couple of weeks, and I just had kind of a roulette of tight ends, and on, and it worked. It, it did work for me, just based off how the landscape of tight ends work. Um, but yes, it's obviously a huge advantage to you if you do have like, you know, the Kelsey's of the world or or the Wallers. But are, you just have to be willing to pay the price, especially now that we're going back to Snake. Um, like if yeah, you, that's true. There are some really intriguing late round tight end sleepers like guys like Cole Komet, Adam Troutman on the Saints, even a Blake Jarwin on the Cowboys. Like there are some genuinely intriguing like guys that you can probably pick up in the last got, round of the draft. Um, yeah, you got now Tyler Higby by himself since Everett's out. Everett's now in Seattle. 
So now that they don't have competition amongst each other, how are they going to pan out, right? Is uh, yeah. is TJ Hawkerson going to step up, even though uh, there's a bit of a downgrade there in QB? Um, like There are some people that can sleep. You got, um, I forgot his name. Is it Robert Tanyan? Uh, now that Rodgers has confirmed that he's back in Green Bay, how is he going to pan out? You know Rodgers is going to throw about 35 to 40 touchdowns. Some of them have to go his way. So I think you got some value in the later rounds in tight end. Yeah, it might not be like, you know, top three or top five, but it will be serviceable for sure. So and what are what are your thoughts about wide receiver? Are you are you still looking to try and get one of those top tier guys? Or do you think are you are you more of like a wait and see with the uh, wide receivers? I agree with you that I think there's a lot more value in that five to eight round range than there is in other positions like running back. Uh, There's a lot more higher ceiling upside guys that you can take a risk with. I think what I want to do is do a little bit more of a balanced approach, maybe grab a a wide receiver that I know will have guaranteed yardage and grab another one that can get guaranteed touchdowns and kind of have a balanced approach where I get that in the rounds. It will depend how I end up drafting after the first, because let's be real, everybody knows uh, drafting second, I'm going to end up going with uh, CMC or, or Cook, right? Let's be real. Um, so unless something catastrophic happens, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Probably. knock on wood. Let, let hopefully not uh, for their sake. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I would want to do more of an, a balanced approach. But it, it definitely will be interesting to see the team, the team or teams that do end up going for that Kelsey in the late first or the Waller in the second, how they construct their team going forward. Agreed, definitely. Well, then let's let's start moving towards the end here. Let's get a little bit more specific about players. So I asked you to think about uh, a few high-variance guys that are kind of intriguing to you as players, guys that could really outproduce their, their draft position, but guys that could also just completely flop at the same time. So there's, you know, a very high ceiling, but then a very, very low floor. Uh, let's start by talking about running backs. Who, do you, who, do you, who would you say is a running back that is a, a high-variance guy in your mind that's kind of intriguing to you? Uh, there, there are quite a few. Um, there definitely is quite a few that I would like to talk about. But if we're going to pick one specifically... I'm actually going to go with one that's probably still kind of under the radar. And that's going to be uh, Javante Williams, the rookie uh, running back from the Denver Broncos. That's bold of you to say that he's under the radar. I don't know. I don't. I, I follow a bunch of fantasy stuff. I don't know how under the radar Javante Williams is anymore. But go ahead. Well, Javante Williams, well, you know, this complete, completely can change with uh, camp and then with preseason. He's right now projected to be 38th in running backs, and he's kind of in the same range as let's put some guys out there like James Robinson, Zach Moss, Leonard Fournette. And uh, Lindsay's out there. Uh, to be honest, I think Melvin Gordon is a non-factor, and they still they, Lindsay's in Lindsay's in Houston now. Lindsay's not on the Broncos anymore. Exactly, Lindsay's out there, right? So out of there, got you. Yeah, and they do have a pretty solid line. And I, I do think that he's a talented running back that's been drafted. I, I think he can show some value and he'll be better. He'll show flashes. And I think his ADP will rise before we actually do a draft. And I think, I don't think he's going to be top 10 or top 12 or anything like that, but I think he can definitely be uh, in that top. He could sneak into that top 24 value. 
uh, I, I can see this rookie producing. Um, that I'm right my- in there with you. I do. I really love me some Javante Williams. I think, you know, it, it means something that Denver traded up to the second round to pick him. You know, it means that they don't trust Melvin Gordon enough, hypothetically, to keep him there. So I'm I'm definitely intrigued in the Javante Williams stock. And, you know, in, in mocks, he's a guy that I've been targeting quite a bit in those middle rounds, kind of as like hopefully a, a second or a third uh, running back. Uh, so I'm right there with you on him. And that whole Denver offense is really interesting because uh, I'm not going to talk about him too much. But Jerry Judy is a guy that I'm very intrigued by as a high variance person. Uh, just as there's so much up in the air with them that it seems really hard to predict. Um, but yeah, did you have any final thoughts there on Javante Williams? Yeah, exactly. You just pinned the point there. Like he's not going to be your he's not you're not trying to have a ceiling with him where he's can take over as RB1. But I, I, he could be a guy that, you know, it might be a little bit slow in the beginning of the year because Gordon is there. But if he flashes his brilliance, he can take over that one-two role and he can easily fill in. Uh, you're drafting him probably to be a bench guy or a flex or an RB3 for you that can, at the end of the season, be RB2 value. And I, I can see him uh, becoming that and just be a, be a value at where he's being dra- drafted at this point in his ADP. Yeah, and then obviously the risk there is that maybe Melvin Gordon, you know, drinks from the fountain of youth and finds something in the tank, and then Javante Williams becomes even less involved in the offense and might be barely even, you know, half of a Philip Lindsay. So that's always a worry. Uh, yeah, I know- uh, sorry, yeah, I was going to say a great example of that with the same team was um, the running back that they drafted. I, I what's his, was Royce, wasn't it? Uh- Freeman? Freeman, they drafted Freeman, showed huge uh, flashes within the preseason. He came in, and then Philip Lindsay was also undrafted, and then Lindsay ended up stealing the show. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, that's the hard thing with running backs, definitely hard to predict. So my guy, another rookie, I feel like this is going to be a big theme of this year, is rookie running backs. Trey Sermon is a guy that's really, really intriguing to me because – you know, anyone that runs in a Kyle Shanahan offense seems to just be God <laughs> once they get on the field. They just put up massive numbers, whether you're Jeff Wilson Jr. or Raheem Mostert, or whether you're just, you know, who else has been in that? Really, You know, uh, Matt Breda, like, you know, names of guys that, you know, could be working at a car dealership in five years just become stars in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Uh, and... The fact that they put that draft capital into Trey Sermon, I mean, that gives me a lot of hope that they'll, the coaching staff might want to feature him. And I could genuinely see Trey Sermon being a low-end RB1 by the end of the year. But then at the same time, with Raheem Mostert still there, you know, the coaching staff has a lot more familiarity with him. And even though he's never necessarily flashed major athletic tools or anything he's the guy that's been around. He's kind of got seniority there. And so it could be that Trey Sermon just becomes a Jeff Wilson Jr. who fades into the background uh, and doesn't really do much. And that's where, you know, his ADP right now is around 6th, 7th, 8th round. And it's a little bit worrying to kind of draft a guy who might be completely irrelevant in that range. But I think if Trey Sermon, if things break right for him, he could be one of the best value picks that comes out of the draft. What What are your thoughts on the sermon? Uh, I, I totally agree with you. Like, uh, first of all, in the Shanahan system he's in in San Francisco, it's 
clearly had been proven that they could put anybody in that backfield and they end up being successful, not only in real football, but also for fantasy. And I, I think the other intriguing part is, uh, yes, you're correct that Raheem is going to be leading the back to begin with, but how, me- how, like, how many seasons has he played uh, full without getting injured? He's very injury prone. It's just a matter of how many games will he play before he's injured and then he can finally take that step up and be the starter. And I think, I think it's just a matter of that. And if he can take advantage of the touches that he does get in those situations, he can just take over the backfield. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Uh, let's shift over to wide receiver. Uh, I'll, I'll go with mine first because I think you might have some thoughts on this. I'm looking at Cole Hardman really strongly as kind of like a late round flyer guy because there's that void right now in the Kansas City offense where after Kelsey and after Hill, they don't really know who that third pass catcher is going to be there. You know, they still have Demarcus Robinson. They still have Byron Pringle. Obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could take on a bigger passing role. But if Hardman can step up and be the second wide receiver in that offense, you know, we could see more than even, like, Sammy Watkins numbers coming out of him. Like, Hardman could be a wide receiver, too, that you pick in the 12th or 13th round. But then, likewise, he could also be dumped on the waiver wire after two weeks after he gets zero targets in the offense. So to me, Hardman is the ultimate kind of high variance wide receiver. There's just so much going on with him, so much difficult uh, difficulty in predicting his role that, uh, you know, it makes it really fun to draft him late, but it's hard to ever rely on him. What about you for, for a wide receiver? Who would you choose as a high variance guy? Just a comment on a hard man. I, I, I think he's very difficult to predict. And it, it, just because, A, like, he, he is a very uh, Tyreek Hill-style player. He's a very vertical runner, and he uses his speed. And uh, he's – I can – I don't have the stats in front of me, but Watkins didn't actually have that many actual catches uh, to be replaceable. So he could fill in in the second role, but – this Patty Mahomes offense, there was never really a successful second wide receiver to begin with. So that's what imagine if they do imagine imagine if they do. And that's always been the possibility with that offense is there's so many yards going uh, and it has to be distributed more than just like you said, Kelsey and Hill, who is that person? You're right. It could be him, but history has shown that it, probably is leaning more towards not happening than happening for him. But that's what you do in those later rounds. You take those risks, right? Because if it pans out, you look like a champion. And if it doesn't, then it's not that bad. You can just put them in the waivers. Yeah, exactly. So then who's, who's your wide receiver? Oh man, I, I'm kind of stuck between two. Um, one of them is the smooth, silky hands of Kenny Galladay that I would have loved to have seen on my team last year, uh, which now he's traded to the Giants. Uh, It's interesting because he has the high ceiling. We know he can be a top 10 wide receiver in the league, potentially even like top five. Um, he, He had his injuries. He's supposed to be fully healthy now. He's now getting the ball from somebody who is less competent in Daniel Jones. But he has zero competition out there, in my opinion. 
and catching the ball. He's going to get over 120 targets in that offense. Um, I, I would challenge you on that, actually. I think that there is plenty of target competition out there. I think Darius Slayton really showed last year. And it's. I was reading something earlier about how they're putting Sterling Shepard back in the slot where he hadn't been for a couple of years and where Sterling Shepard was super successful during that time. So I would actually challenge you on that notion that Galladay is going to have like the made like the huge huge majority target share there he'll obviously be their their first wide receiver but i would challenge that idea that he's going to be like the undisputed kind of like michael thomas-esque kind of figure out there not to that extent i think his target share michael thomas is out of the world but i think kenny do all the day he's he's just he is a rare talent in the league that we saw last year even with slayton and um Oh man, you just mentioned his other name, Sterling Shepard, and then Shepherd. they had Golden Tate there yeah. as well last year. I think it, Golden Tate. I, I don't know if he's still kicking around or not. No, he's not. I think he's out. But it's it, it didn't work out, and that's why they paid the big money to get a, a player like Holiday in there. And I, I I can almost guarantee he'll get at least 120 targets there, and probably at least 90 catches if he stays healthy enough. It's just a matter of. Can Daniel Jones deliver that for him? Because we know he's a top 10 wide receiver in this league. It's just a matter of can he get there again. Um, so it's, it, it, and where he's being drafted right now, it's kind of in an awkward position that if he, can, if he can actually deliver, it's almost a steal. But if he doesn't, then, then you kind of drafted a little bit too high for him. So he's a very hard wide receiver to predict for this year just on based off is he healthy enough, being on a new team, and can he consistently flash the brilliance that we know he is? Yeah, and I think there's some hope there. I, I know they the Giants spent a, a very expensive, like a high pick on an offensive lineman, which has always been the problem out there. Their offensive line has been pretty brutal. So if they can do that and kind of give Daniel Jones a a ability to thrive there and with Saquon coming back and maybe given a bit more of a, a run threat, I could definitely see Galladay having a really successful year, but it is hard for me to really envision that ceiling just because Daniel Jones, I just don't think has shown it. It's hard to see him really achieve the heights there uh, that he may have with Stafford. Then again, it's like, you know, Stafford's a good quarterback, uh, but it's not like there was much going on in Detroit at the same time too. So, you know, he has thrived on, on bad teams, so yeah, I think it could definitely happen in New York. So then let's let's finish off with kind of our wild cards. You know, so this can be any player you want, could be another running back or wide receiver, anyone else. Who's who's one of your favorite kind of high variance guys, lottery tickets that you think could just really, really pay off or just boom miserably? Who's your who's your choice there? Um, so one is also a rookie. Uh, but one player I'm very intrigued in is actually uh, Jalen Waddle, who was drafted oh, by our team, Miami Dolphins. Uh, but what's intriguing about him is he's obviously one of the most talented wide receivers that's coming out of this year's draft. He's uh, actually being most compared to having the speed or even faster than uh, Tyreek the Freak Hill. Um, and he also, yes, he does play in the slot, but he was the main wide receiver that played with Tua in university. So they're going to be combining together again, too. So I think Tua starting and having that comfort of having his boy Jalen there uh, to catch the balls for him 
just can be a very spicy mix that now we're going to see in the NFL level. So it is going to be really interesting to see how this wide receiver does in this league, uh, but with the familiarity that he has with Tua. It was really interesting to see that happen in this year's draft, where we had that happen twice, you know, with Jamar Chase reconnecting with Joe Burrow and then Waddell obviously connecting with uh, Tua. I think that that can't be left unsaid like that having that extra year and that chemistry there i think will probably be huge for those players they're obviously you know going into new systems but having that quarterback there uh is i think huge so i i really like that pick i think that's really interesting uh my wild cards because i am a guy that famously likes to kind of wait on qbs and it just always ends with me getting carson wentz i have resolved this year that i am not drafting carson wentz but something that i am really interested in is the New Orleans Saints QB situation. Because when I think of, you know, they obviously have Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill there. And Jameis Winston was was barely ever seen at all in, in 2020, but is only two years removed from tossing just a boatload of touchdowns in Tampa Bay. And then at the same time, too, Taysom Hill, when he was starting in replace of Drew Brees, he was a top 10 fantasy quarterback at those times. Uh, so I, there's part of me that is really, really interested in just picking up. I think this, the, the, the tea leaves are kind of reading a bit more towards Taysom Hill at this point. If I'm very intrigued by the idea of picking up Taysom Hill kind of in one of the last two rounds and then kind of feeling free to maybe dump him and try and pick up someone else after. Because if that pick hits... He could definitely finish, I think, in the top 12 uh, quarterbacks because of just his running threats, you know, everything that he does out there. You always want a mobile QB these days. And even if he doesn't, I'm sure Jameis will be there waiting to be picked up. And I think Jameis has the similar upside as Taysom Hill. So anytime I can wait on a quarterback and potentially get a top 12 option in one of those last two rounds, I am very, very interested. But now with the Michael Thomas injury... That offense is looking a lot less scary and a lot less desirable to have uh, stock in the quarterbacks there. So, again, guys that I think have very, very high upside, but a real, real, real low floor. So, are you saying that you would draft your 12th pick, Michael Thomas, 13th and 14th, Winston and Hill? <laughs> Absolutely. That's I'm just loading up my bench with uh, Saints, definitely. Yeah, you know what? They went to like the conference final last year, man. Or they were they were a deep playoff team. I I like investing in good teams. I I will definitely say that I think Hill will be a sneaky underrated quarterback in the draft. He might not even be drafted, but I could be wrong. But in in I think in three or four of the games he actually started last year, he finished as like a top five or like a top six quarterback. Um. He actually performed pretty well. Yeah, there's the wild card that we don't know Winston could be the quarterback out there. And like you said, with Thomas out, it really will drop the value of both of them and as well as everybody on that team. Um, So that is going to be a storyline that's going to be interesting to kind of follow as like for the rest of August leading up into the beginning of the season. Yeah. And on that note, we'll we'll start to bring the podcast to a close here. There is one final thing we want to do before we sign off, though. We want to recognize our dearly departed Victor Bahada, 
who has left the league, feeling you know, really just bottoming out and deciding to to no longer suffer the indignity of the Monday morning tears. So so Mikey, as as current champion, I want to I wanted to give you the chance to just uh, say some parting words to Victor uh, on his way out. You know, uh, it's been a good run. It's been a good journey. Um, as a champion, I've also hit like rock bottom. I was the butt hurt bull champion two, two or three years ago. So I understand the pain. I understand the embarrassment, the frustration uh, of being the butt hurt champion. But, you know, I, I powered through it and look where I am now. And I just wish that you would have given yourself that opportunity to do that for you. Um, but unfortunately, you're not. Uh, but it was a good run. Hopefully, we'll see you uh, soon in the near future. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll we'll miss you. We'll, we'll try to have the in memoriam ready for the draft so that we can put up just all the highlights of of Victor's failed fantasy football career. Yes. But on that note, let's bring this podcast to a close. We'll maybe try and do one more just before the draft in about a month or so, and then we'll have some post-draft fun going in after that. Uh, but until that time, thanks, Mikey, so much for joining me here. I know you've been dying to talk some fantasy football uh, you know, for the past summer here, and we didn't get the chance to see you out in Kelowna this weekend, and it's just been, it's been a joy to get to talk to you, bud. Uh, excited to take you on and take that crown from you uh, this season. Always a pleasure, my friend, and I am looking forward to get all the hate and all the heat. So until next time, everyone, keep crying. Pew, pew, pew.